This is an ABC podcast. It's the weekend and you're on ABC Radio Perth and WA. It is the weekend. Dustin Skipworth filling in for Roanna Edwards here on Saturday Breakfast. It's at five minutes past nine. Your text message is already coming in uh, for Mark Tuchek, who's about to join you uh, for our gardening segment. So uh, 1300 222 get on the phones like Lynn in Mandra. It's that time of the morning. Roots and Shoots on ABC Radio Perth and WA and the ABC Listener. weren't sure, were you, Mark, if it was coming in or not? I thought you might sneak that in, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> Every time I go, how did they let us be in the same room again? We just run a bit of a bit of a rascalness on here. I know, it's nice to see you. Yeah, how have you been out there? How's the uh, this time of the year for, for plants? It's a great time of the year for plants. It's great growing weather, and it's even nice to go out and visit gardens. Last night I was very lucky enough to be invited to a twilight garden opening yeah. in um, in the uh, Swan View. Yep. And uh, so the garden's actually going to be open today and tomorrow. It's called Straw Farm. All right. And it's an amazing block. It's on a quite a sloping area. It's got the uh, John Forrest National Park as a background. But uh, uh, the guy there, um, uh, he's really done a lot of work in uh, mixing Australian native plants with Mediterranean plants. All right. And he's got his own uh, grey water system there as well. And it's just amazing, you know, that what you can do on a sloping block like that. And it's great inspiration for people just getting ideas. Is it always open? No, it's only open this weekend right. as part of the, the WA Open Gardens Scheme, which is run by volunteers. And it's a, a great thing to do, you know. If you need ideas or you're a bit of a garden voyeur, you yeah. know, you just go along, check out people's gardens, see what they're doing, how they grow things. You can ask them questions. And it's just a great opportunity to, you know, see what else can be done around the place. I think last time we were chatting, uh, maybe on afternoons when I was presenting afternoons, we were talking about my backyard and I was going to put some grass in. Right. I'll let you know that I put in some Sir Walter Buffalo and it is thriving. Oh, there you go. I've done one cut and I didn't go down too too short because I had been told, I think uh, by Sabrina, not to uh, stress it out too early. Correct, yeah. yeah. How long do I need to wait before I cut it kind of short? Yeah, well, you don't with buffalo. You don't really want to cut it short. Oh, okay. Unlike a, a cooch lawn, you can actually go quite a lot lower. Uh, buffalo, you can expose the the kind of rhizomes if you cut it too short, and it's designed to be you know a, a taller grass, a bit softer under the foot. Yeah, um, my daughter is loving playing on it. She has that f- little nice feel to it on it. That's it, and you know, they feel everything through, through their feet. And- As you look down at my shoes that I'm not wearing, and I have no shoes on in the studio. Why, why isn't there a camera in here? It's Saturday breakfast. Come on. Everyone else is probably walking around their backyards or in their house with no shoes on. Why can't I be part of it? Fair enough. Yep. Uh, get on the phones, one three hundred triple two seven twenty, or send through a text message like a lot of you uh, have already. Uh, we'll start with Lynn in Mandra. We'll go down south. Good morning to you, Lynn. Oh, good morning. Um, I'm actually ringing up about for my grandson. Mm-hmm. He's just moved into a house in... Um, South Perth, and there's a magnolia tree. It's in the ground, but the leaves, um, half of it's green and the other half's brown on on most of the leaves. Okay. So magnolias, um, a couple of things. They do require regular watering, and mm-hmm. they do prefer a slightly you know, acidic soil too. So um, oh, okay. So if the, you know, you don't know what the ground's like at all? Is it a bit no, sandy? No, I have no idea. He's just moved into that house. Mm, sure. Okay. Uh, well, first thing I'd suggest would be uh, to mulch it. Uh, so around the drip line, so however wide the tree is, that's where all of the fine little feeder roots are concentrated. Yep. So if you put a mulch underneath there, add a wetting agent, that's a really great thing to use this time of the year to make sure whatever water is going on is yeah. actually I went and I did that last week. That's it. I sent a photo to Sabrina and I said, what should I do? She said, go get a wedding agent, yep. put it on those little patches. And within, I want to say, three or four days, right. started, the grass started to green up. That's it. Because um, our soil generally on these kind of bassendine sands, uh, 
usually quite hydrophobic, you know. Um, so when they dry out, they become little water-repellent balls. And for trees like that, magnolias, they show some uh, stress on the signs of the, the outer the leaves where they start to burn off a bit. So making sure whatever water is penetrating, good thick mulch, but not against the stem. Mm-hmm. So that'll be good for Lynn. It's uh, time for jacarandas. They are out in bloom at the moment. Fantastic. Yeah. So they, uh, they look fantastic. And there's the occasional white one around the two. If A you... white one? Yes. Yeah. So there's uh, some grafted white ones that are flowering well next to their purple cousins. Yeah. And they look spectacular. There's a few next to the um, uh, the volleyball WA home grounds where they play beach volleyball here, mm-hmm. um, leadable. So they look fantastic. And um, I've got a, a grafted form myself, which is pretty good because they don't take that long to flower because normally you can, there's a bit of a waiting game for uh, jacarandas that grown from seed. How long do they flower for? Because I'm sure a lot of people right now are also going, yes, they're beautiful, but they do leave a little bit of a mess. Oh, uh, poo to that because <laughs> really you just want to enjoy them. There you go. Look, there's that white flowering one there in the photo. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. I've never seen a white one. I'll have to go out. I'll, you know what? Now that I say that, I'm probably going to see them all the time. You will. You'll look out for them. So, yeah, their, their flowering periods are peaking now, so now until Christmas, and uh, then enjoy them and enjoy the purple carpet underneath too. Poo-poo to any of you who are worried about cleaning it up. Zero four three seven nine double two seven twenty, or on the phones. Uh, Charles in Dunsborough. Good morning to you, Charles. Uh, good morning. How are you going? Doing well. What's your question for Mark? This uh, is uh, a planting planting lawn very soon, right near the ocean, or virtually fifty metres from the ocean. Mm-hmm. Very sandy uh, base, and wondering what the best lawn would be to plant there, uh, and also looking at the water consumption as well. All right, planting lawn close to the ocean. Near the coast. Near the coast. There you go. Well, once upon a time, they actually had a, a variety called saltine for that reason, because of the, the saltiness. Uh, it can handle a bit more salty areas. But really, it, it, it'll all come down to the preparation, because if you want a lawn, any lawn, uh, you'll need to do a fair bit of work, so it'll be 90% in the preparation and mm-hmm. 10% in the laying kind of thing, so... Uh, getting some good organic matter into the into the sand to help retain moisture, using uh, the different clay-based products to help retain moisture again. Um, so I would concentrate more on that. The varieties, you know, if they they'll take a little bit of salt, you know, spray and things like that. Probably I'd go for the cooch varieties rather than your buffalo mm-hmm. in that uh, circumstance. But uh, yeah. Does it also depend on how much sunlight he's getting on that grass area? If it's full sun, lawns prefer full sun anyway. Yeah. So if it's a shady spot, yeah, you, you want to do other things rather than have lawn. But lawns love the full sun, uh, but as long as there's a, a good uh, reticulation system, and by the coast you can even use subsurface reticulation mm-hmm. um, or these kind of MP3 rotators that uh, don't blow away. Uh, you know, the worst thing I see around at the moment is uh, – Sprinklers watering the uh, road, the road, and most of the water running down the road because people don't you know, adjust the reticulation system. So a good reticulation system, and rather than the, the variety of lawn, but yeah. I'd go for cooch. The other day when I was going to visit my grandma in um, the nursing home, I walked past the sprinkler that was spraying onto the path. Right, just gave it a little twirl around, back onto the rose bushes. That's all you need. So people get out there, especially in windy weather. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be watering the the road. You want to water your lawn or your plants. Be a good Samaritan. Uh, we are 13 minutes past nine here on ABC Saturday Breakfast. Mark, to check in with you. Uh, if you've got your questions on the text lines, uh, 04379 or one three hundred triple two seven twenty. Let's take this one from uh, the text line, actually, from Esperance. Uh, Holly says, uh, my corn last year got a disease that makes it tasteless and gummy. My mum reckons uh, reckoned it was... Uh, Fusarium? Fusarium. Fusarium disease, but can't find anything about it. Can you tell me the disease and how to control it? I've got corn in this year, about two foot tall. Uh, want to get in and control it earlier. Okay, well. I'm guessing that's the photo that we have here. Yeah, so Fusarium's a, a fungal disease, and um, Usually it tends to affect plants when they're very young, like seedlings, you know, and, and cause them to uh, die off when they're young. 
I'm not sure if fusarium is actually attacking the the actual um, corn cobs themselves as they develop. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would try and avoid overhead watering if that's the case. Um, so just watering underneath the plants and rather over the, the foliage and certainly don't water at night um, because, you know, most fungal diseases tend to... Um, it's damp and... Damp, you know, cold. warm and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they're prevalent. So um, you know, if she's used a clean seed, I think it should be fine. They look, those plants look healthy enough to me at this stage. But how bad is that? You spend all this time making, you know, growing the corn and then when you bite into it after you've put it on the barbecue, it just tastes not great. Just unlucky. You can be lucky and unlucky, but, yeah. so, you know... Um, most of the time, corn's fairly um, easy to grow, so she's, I just had a bad batch, I think. Yeah. I made some corn when we were down in Margaret River for a, our group of friends that we were down with, maybe about three or four weeks ago, and across the board, people were saying, best corn they've ever had. Right. So I don't know if I got lucky with a good batch or if it was what I did, a lot of butter, a lot of salt on the barbecue. Oh, there we go. That always makes it taste good, doesn't it? Yeah. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. Get on the phones. Uh, Mark in Currambine. Uh, good morning to you, Mark. Yeah, good morning. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. How, how's the garden looking? Yeah, the garden's good, but I've got a, a couple of questions regarding hibiscus. Yes. Um, number. The first question is, I bought three hibiscus shrubs a couple of years ago. Two of them are really nice and bushy. One of them's... Less so, it's a bit spindly, and I was wondering, that's the first question is, how should I prune that to make it bush out a bit? And my second question is, which is probably more important to me, is I've took some cuttings based on something I read on the internet, where you cut on an angle just below uh, um, leaf shoots, put them in water, and yes, they're, they're growing lovely, they've got some nice leaves on them, but there's no roots appearing. Any tips? Okay, so the angled cut uh, that you take on a hibiscus cutting uh, is just above the node and above above the node yep so and then underneath you want to just trim a flat cut below the node Mm -hmm. in order that's where the the roots initiate from so if you've got no roots just check where you've actually cut the the bottom part of the cutting it's got to be close to the node and if it's too far away what happens is uh, you won't get anything um, sprouting. I would also do it. You can also do it in, in potting mix and things like that, as long as you keep it damp. Um, and you don't want to have too much leaf growth before the the roots start to develop, because that'll uh, the success of the cutting won't um, won't uh, do the job. You know, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll the leaves start to use water and transpire water, and if there's no roots there to take in nutrients. You don't want that. Hibiscus usually easy to usually grow? Usually pretty easy to grow from cuttings, yeah. So sometimes a rooting hormone gel or powder dabbed in the bottom of the, the cutting will help in strike, um, initiate roots. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just watch where you're actually placing that cut. That's a critical bit. When you're cutting um, and trying to grow uh, rosemary, because yeah. I've done it a couple of times and it seems like a bit of a crapshoot with if it works or not, what should you be doing? With rosemary, because the the nodes are fairly close together, you can't. They're not as obvious as in like a hibiscus. Mm. So yeah, generally where you cut, it's a, it's a good chance there's a node underneath there anyway. Um, main uh, success rate for for cuttings is keeping them warm and damp. You know they don't want to be wet, okay, and they don't want to dry out. So they just have to be damp at all times. And even if you just kind of miss them too, because you know you don't want them to dry out at any point. Ah, all right, zero four three seven nine double two seven twenty. Uh, I've got a great photo here of some amazing looking tomatoes. It's from Sandy. It just says tomatoes growing from a bird poop. Wow! How good is that? I oh, know they're fantastic. Um, yes, yeah, so birds are very efficient in uh, spreading the seeds around, mm. and uh, it's come with its own little fertilizer package. So. Yeah. It's a win. Didn't even need to go down to the store and buy seeds. Uh, Kevin in uh, Bustleton. Uh, good morning to you, Kevin. Hi, how are you going? Doing very well. What's your question for Mark about uh, your garden? We, we've got a jacaranda tree that for the first time, it's probably 15, 20 plus years old, and it's the first time it hasn't flowered. It's still got some green leaves coming on it, but it, we've had no flowers at all this year. Okay. Uh, have you we're, done... We're, in- 
any earthwork or anything around the base of the the tree recently? No, no, no. no. It's uh, we're about 150 metres from Geograph Bay, um, so and we've got reticulation that comes on twice a week, so water's not a problem. But um, it's got green leaves just starting to come, but we've had no flowers, and it's the first the first year that it hasn't, and it's probably 20 years old, I suppose. Right. I actually have heard of that. Um, with another call previously too, so uh, could be weather related too. Um, yeah, good question. Maybe you need just to lead in the axe against it. So just to, uh, <laughs> give it a little stern warning. Spur it on. Just uh, just you know, say, well, don't do this next year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no. Do plants take a break though? Sometimes I know. I know Sabrina has mentioned that in the past. You know, sometimes your plants can just be tired for a year. It, they can be because. It's very taxing on a plant to produce flowers. Uh, it draws on a lot of energy and things like that. And I've got, um, there are some plants like uh, brachychitons or currajongs. They tend to flower heavily one year and then not so much the next year. So because of that reason, you know, it's just, they get exhausted. So uh, yeah, maybe it was it had a particularly good season previously and just ran out of steam and was having a rest. Kevin, have a stern wo- word with your jacaranda this morning. Uh, 21 minute, minutes past nine on uh, ABC Saturday Breakfast. Mark Tuchek in with you today talking about your gardens. Got this one. Uh, they sent through a photo and a text message. Uh, suffering bad, badly with scale, keeps returning, just use uh, Congard, which I think is helping, but it killed two ladybirds that were working on this bush. Is there anything that you can use that doesn't kill natural helpers in the garden. Well, that's the thing. So the, the plant we're looking at is a an allegoin. Uh, it's called Melissa Ann. Uh, it's like a native hibiscus. Okay. Um, and uh, we I can't see closely enough uh, because you haven't figured out how to blow up I know. photos yet. So. Apparently you, you said that there's a way to make these photos a lot bigger. Oh, I don't know how Ebony did it, but she did it. But I reckon she screenshot it and then put it on this screen for you and made it bigger. Maybe she did. So, But that's the thing. When you're using any insecticide, whether it's a, a natural insecticide or, you know, the fact that it's killing something, so, you know, there are, you know, things like pyrethrum, which are naturally occurring, uh, nicotine naturally occurring, all that kind of thing. They, the reason they're they're effective is because they are killing stuff. So it's very hard to target just one pest, yeah, and not everything else. So um, you kind of have to make the decision: Are you willing to lose a few of your ladybirds or ladybugs, or hope that that's it? And sometimes you just got to go roll with the flow. Mm-hmm. But I would probably look at why they're getting attacked by scale in the first place. So generally plants, if they're in a weakened state or stressed, they're more prone to pest and disease attacks. So a bit like you and I, if you exercise and eat properly, then you don't catch a cold so much. But if you run down, Mm -hmm. then you catch every wall gun under the sun. So Mm -hmm. maybe look at um, if the plant's been stressed or there's too much soil up against the trunk or some other reason why the plant is stressed and that's why it's getting attacked in the first place. All right. Uh, one three hundred triple two seven twenty. Uh Let's go to Beaconsfield. Uh, good morning to you, Dom. Uh, good morning, uh, Dusty and Mark. Uh, I've recently been gifted a very large cutting from a dragon dragon's blood tree. Right. Uh, I've got it. I've got it in a big pot and it's been supported by a structure I've built. Yes. Uh, I understand they don't enjoy organic matter as in compost, but they require mineral uh, feeding. What can I do over the next few months to stop it from dying? Okay. So Dracaena Draco is the yeah. the dragon's blood tree. So they're, yeah. they're, um, they're very heavy so that the stems are actually um, very thick and very heavy. That's why you've got it supported because yeah. they're, they're mm. really difficult uh, yep, got some. Flat- what a beautiful tree! Yes, yes. It's, so what- it's as tall as I am. It'll be a hundred and eighty-five centimeters. It's massive. Right. Well, they yeah. can get more massive. So if you wait another yeah. hundred years, uh, <laughs> you'll have one that covers your house. But uh, they're, they're quite uh, sculptural trees, and the reason they're called dragon's blood because if you damage the the trunk, they'll ooze this kind of red sap that looks like dragon's yeah. blood. 
But mm-hmm. uh, going back to your problem for transplanting, yep, uh, because it's like a big cutting, if you like, you don't want anything too rich or composty near the trunk because that can rot away. Mm-hmm. And so if you just use uh, a mineral fertilizer, making sure that it's well drained in that particular spot until it starts to initiate its own roots. So mineral fertilizers, you can use a slow-release fertilizer uh, available in the shop. You don't really need to fertilize it at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, you just need to make sure uh, you keep it damp on top. I'd kind of you know, spray the, the foliage occasionally and damp on the ground but not wet until it initiates its own roots. And you've said that a few times already today about making sure that that soil or, or mix is not up against the trunk of the tree. Yeah. Because, well, for things like that, because they've adopted, you know, from very dry um, country. Look, look like they should be in the desert. That's right. And so they're, they're, those trunks are designed to re- retain moisture. <laughs> and if they're too wet, then they, they rot easily, that, that particular trunk. So just keep it damp, not wet. How interesting. Zero four three seven nine double two seven twenty. On the text line, this one says, my five-year-old wants to grow some strawberries in a pot at home. Are there any tips on achieving the most success? Uh, I would recommend a good quality potting mix. Okay. If you buy a Australian premium potting mix, so on the bags they've got a, a red logo with five white ticks, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter what the brand is called. If you go for that um, particular logo in the bag, then you're off to a good start because it's got enough drainage and air porosity and water retention and trace elements and fertiliser all in there, and the strawberries will grow really well. How big a pot should they be using? Uh, I would go, at the minimum would probably be a 200ml pot, okay. so 20 centimetres across um, the, the top of the pot. Uh, or you can go bigger in a bowl, just keep it damp and full sun, and uh, the strawberries grow really well. All right. Beautiful. Before we get to Sabrina's pick, even though she's not with us today, uh, let's go to Cloverdale. Good morning to you, Rosalind. Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. What's your question about your garden for uh, Mark Tuchek? Well, it's not particularly about my garden, but um, I've got some indoor plants and I read a magazine called New Scientist and uh, they have a contributor called James Moore who works at the Royal Botanic Gardens in London and he said that he did an experiment in his apartment. In one room, he misted them, and the other one, he didn't. And it, it didn't actually make any difference. Now, is is this the same here? I mean, we obviously have a drier climate than they do. But um, what does what does the the, the expert think? <laughs> well, I would probably be inclined to. So, if you imagine, most indoor plants have orig- originated from tropical environments and they're usually understory plants so where they most of them where they come from are usually they've got that humidity and and they're dappled shade so air inside a house is usually a lot drier and especially in you know australia here we've got air conditioning and things like that um i would be inclined to miss them occasionally and talk to them Mm -hmm. because if you the closer you can mimic their their natural environment, the better they'll be, and the better they'll grow for you. So, the occasional misting, you know, um, you imagine plants inside a house; they don't have any rain on them to wash off any dust or yeah. anything like that. So, uh, misting them, I would recommend. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good practice, and just to wipe the leaves of the dust, and even rotating the plants too. So, if they've got a got an indoor plant that's the favourite. Mm-hmm. Just put it outside occasionally uh, because if you imagine the uh, temperature and conditions change very slowly in nature. So they don't go from hot to cold straight away. Yeah. but you Not know. like when you get home, you turn the air conditioning on because you've been out all day and it was 30 degrees inside and now it's 19. Yeah. So that, that kind of you know, buggers up plants a bit so they need to adapt. So the more you can make their environment close to how they're growing in the wild, the better. All right. Uh, 0437922720. We'll get to some more of your text messages um, after Sabrina's pick. Mark, what do you like for opera? Are you a, a fan of the opera? Oh, not so much. Me neither. Unless, you know, there's a person singing at the end. Don't know. Uh, Mickey's out there putting up a love heart saying that she loves the opera. Okay. 
Well, Mickey. Two versus one. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, Sabrina, we know, is such an aficionado of the opera, and so she has picked um, a, a ballad for today. Even though she's not with you, we know that you love her picks. Um, so this one is Turnado, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, Nessum Dorma. And it's act three. I've been told that you'll know exactly what it is because it's one of the all-time greats. So this is your Sabrina pick for today on Saturday Breakfast. That's not how I was told that it was pronounced, but hey. Well, now it's familiar because I know Sabrina sings this in the middle of the night when there's a full moon. <laughs> she does. <laughs> oh, Savvy, we love you. Annie and Chidlow, thank you for your love for the song. Also, Amelia in South Perth. Uh, Sab would be proud. Sam from Jero. Mark, great song for this week. No, that was Sabrina's pick. Oh, People think that you picked it. I'll, I'll take that one. <laughs> Just... Take a a snapshot off it and send it to Sabrina. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Uh, We'll get back to some of your questions uh, regarding your garden um, coming up very shortly. Uh, But for now, get on the phones, one 720 ABC Listen. What would it take to survive the unsurvivable? Water was pouring into my cabin and rising very, very fast. In 1973, a ship disappeared off the coast of Tasmania, launching one of the greatest survival stories Australia has ever seen. We just survived hell. And all Malcolm had the nose who won the Caulfield Cup. (laughs) From the Dead, Season 2 of The Expanse podcast. Find it on the ABC Listen app. Roots and Shoots on ABC Radio Perth and WA and the ABC Listen app. To check back with you on ABC Saturday Breakfast and Dustin Skipworth filling in for Rowanna Edwards. Uh, got a, uh, a couple of questions coming on about grass is where we actually started the, the chat this morning. Yeah. Um, before I get to this one that has come in um, asking about some lawns, uh, I have my grass, when I go out to water, all of a sudden like some little flies or gnats kind of start flying up. Is that normal? Okay. So they could be white flies. I think another. Oh, we have a question about white flies on the text line actually. Yeah. So white flies are prevalent at the moment and they usually just, they're, they're weak flies. So as you walk up to a plant or something like that, they'll fly off in a little cloud and then they'll settle back underneath the plants. And usually they're, they're, they're a sap-sucking pest. So they do a bit of damage because they just suck the nutrients out of your plants or even grass, I yeah. guess, in this case. Um, so usually they, they, they come and go very quickly, but... Um, air circulating around uh, tends to deter them. Um, if you use, uh, you can even use a soap spray. These low, low to- toxic soap sprays are very effective on plants uh, because they attack a lot of edible plants too, mm-hmm. mainly. And will yeah. you notice your plants either looking deficient or weak at all from these white flies? Yeah, you'll start to see on the leaves there'll be kind of speckled um, areas where they've been. Um, sucking away, and so you'll just get deformed leaves and the plant won't be as vigorous as normal. All right. Uh, Hopefully that helps you, uh, Geraldine. In Darken, you're having an issue with white flies. Uh, We'll get to you, Irene, and Madley in just a moment. This one will stay on uh, our grass. Uh, Pezzi in Bayswater uh, treated the soil, put, put roll on lawn down, and it died under a tree in a shady area. What is a good full shade um, grass? Well, that's the thing. There really isn't. Um, Got to have some sun. Yeah. You can get some of the, the cool season bent grasses, uh, which take a little bit more shade, but they require a bit more water. But if it's too shady, it's always going to struggle. Mm. So really you need to think about um, – you know, like a viburnum, either pruning it up to allow more sun to penetrate, you know, the, the grass area uh, or turning to garden bed. Does it need to be grass? Mm-hmm. So, but it's always going to be a struggle. I think my uh, Sir Walter that I have out, 
one of the areas doesn't get very much sun because it's a little, it's like a very small backyard with a yeah. uh, little undercover area. But the part that looks like it's in the shade more is actually doing the best. Oh, that'll, that's probably a, a temporary illusion. Oh, so no. Until it, yeah, it'll, it'll go on for a while, you know, yeah. because it's vigorous and things like that. But, you know, the, the grass needs sunlight to photosynthesize, prevent energy. Yeah. So it'll eventually wither out. Oh, yep. oh wow. All my good work. It might, might stay through. Let's go to Madley. Um, Irene, good morning to you, Irene. Well, good morning. Um, I've got a problem. I, I've always uh, grown <coughs> blue irises and I've never had uh, any trouble. This year I planted for 20 or 30, I suppose, and not one of them flowered. Got long <sighs> stem, but not one of them flowered. And I was wondering why. Okay. What's going on there? Irene, were these uh, the bulbs like the Dutch iris? Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, you know, the, um, the the ones that come out, you know, in, in the spring, the blue, there's blue and white ones in there. Yeah, so there's there's quite a few different types yeah. of uh, iris, but if they're, if they're grown from a, a bulb and not the rhizome, then they're like the Dutch iris form. That's what we call Dutch iris. Um, I'd probably suggest, and they were in full sun. Yes, yes. They, yeah, they uh, well, all I could probably I think I of was... No, as I say, I've never had any problem with them. I sort of grow them and then I dig them up and then sort of plant them the next year. Yes. But this year, just not one of them plowed. Oh. All right. All I can think of is probably they may have got too much of a, a good thing, maybe too much uh, nitrogen in the soil, and they've just put all their energy into the leaves at the expense of flowers. So... Um, and the other th- problem that you could have, if you do that every year, <clears throat> um, sometimes uh, as they uh, are dying out, that's when you need to fertilise them for the following year. So they build up a, a good storage bulb mm-hmm. in order to flower. So if they didn't get enough nutrients at the end of their season last year, then they haven't got enough energy in order to flower the following season. Yeah. Ah, it's so a follow-on effect. A couple of problems there. All right. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. if you would like to ask Mark a question. Uh, we've also got this one on the text line. Uh, it says, good morning, guys. I have a eucalyptus uh, victrix um, that I'm worried the white ants are in. Branches are dropping um, leaves. Is there anything I can do to save it? And should I cut off the branches without leaves? Many thanks. Uh, that's from Kate in Exmouth. And Kate has sent us some photos uh, which I am just trying to get a hold of. I think they're these ones there. So that's a little bit um, from a long shot of the plant. And then this will be a close-up of the bark kind of falling off of this eucalyptus. Oh, okay. Uh, well, they do that naturally, actually. So that's probably not too much to be concerned with. Um, but white ants, uh, I don't know what that trail is there. Mm-hmm. It might have had a borer. You know. How would you know if it was, is it common to get white ants in eucalyptus? Uh, only when they, they tend to get into uh, dead material mm. or not so much living, but you know, decaying material. The plant doesn't look too bad to me, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, I was just trying to check out what's at ground level. Um, the rest of the plant looks fairly healthy. Yeah, the, a, the leaves look very green. There's a couple of dead branches on it. Um, and at the base, yeah, the bark's fallen off. As long as there's no soil, again, no soil up against the trunk. So cardinal rule, uh, plants develop bark to defend themselves from attack from pests from above the ground mm-hmm. and roots you know, have got a defensive mechanism to stop plants from attacking them from underneath the ground. And if you expose them and, and reverse any of that, cover up the trunk or expose the roots, that's when you start to get problems. So... Um, just check at ground level where the tree was, but otherwise it didn't look too bad to me. All right, Kate, hopefully that helps you. Uh, good luck to your eucalyptus. Um, on Sabby's song choice, this text message says, also, my five-year-old recognised the opera song from the movie Sing. I didn't realise I had such a cultured daughter. <laughs> look at that. Even the kids' movies even out there trying to teach them about I know. Sabrina's love of opera. And we've got Mickey telling us that. You know. <laughs> We're uncultured. I know. <laughs> Uh, let's head to Geraldton here on Saturday breakfast. It is uh, 16, 18 minutes to uh, 10. Uh, Geraldton, uh, Sue, good morning to you. 
Good morning, boys. I love that song, my favourite singer. Um, I have a problem with tomatoes. Um, I put them in pots. Um, Gross Liss was the type. It was really good soil I made up, and they just did not get to any size. Like Gross Liss is a big tomato, mm. Yes. and it didn't happen. And you made up the soil to put in the pots? Yes, I did. How did what did you do? What did you make? Uh, I had um, potting, potting mix, and I mixed in compost, and I think it was a, a mushroom um, thing that you combined bags. I mixed it all up in my wheelbarrow. Oh, there you go. So all of that, Sue, would have been great in the ground, but, but not in a pot. So, oh, why? Yeah, because, why is that? Because uh, that that um, compost, mushroom compost, are uh, very good soil yeah. conditioners, but uh, in a potting mix, a pot's a different um, medium, so that's why it's good to use potting mix by itself and not add anything to it. So like, as I mentioned before about the Australian Premium Potting yeah. Mix, it's already designed to have certain amounts of air porosity and water retention, things like that. And when you add things to it, you kind of bugger it up. So... Mm. Uh, so I think that's where you went wrong, Sue, in a pot. Uh, all that stuff would have been great in the ground, uh, but just in a pot, just use a good quality potting mix. All right. So hopefully that helps. Can, you know- I, can I now dig that into my veggie garden? Yeah, definitely. That'll be great in the ground, yep. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. No worries. Sue, you're not my auntie Sue in Geraldton, are you, by any chance? No, oh. I'm not. All right. Well, if you see another <laughs> Sue that- around there, just say, are you Dusty's aunt? <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's a relative, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're all in the clear. You have a good weekend, Sue. <laughs> Thank you, bye. Uh, Sue in Geraldton. Uh, quarter to ten here on ABC Saturday Breakfast. Mark check with you, getting through some of your questions. Uh, Kylie in Mandra on the text line purchased an apple tree and the tag states that it needed two apples, uh, a second apple tree for pollination. I didn't buy a second apple tree to partner with my uh, tree. However, the apple tree still flowered and has little apples growing on it. How was that possible? That's a win because uh, generally, you know, bees can actually travel quite a bit too. So if your neighbours have got apple trees, uh, they're just doing their thing and just cross-pollinating. So you've um, yeah, you've got other apples in the area and the bees are travelling to that apple too to pollinate it. There you go. You got lucky. If you don't want to buy two, maybe just ask your neighbour if they want one as well. Team up, yes. You buy one, they buy one. We're all a winner. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. Let's head to Bridgetown. Good morning to you, Kevin. Uh, good morning. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, what's your question about a, 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 tr- a carob tree? Yeah, I've got a carob tree. I'm told it's a carob tree. And it's, it's a big old tree, magnificent. But... Um, Rats, possums, who knows what it is. I think something has been chewing away at the bark mm-hmm. and in some branches or big thick branches are uh, ring barking it and it's dying and I'm just trying to work out whether I need to. I actually have gotten rid of a couple of rats but there's a couple of friendly pet possums that I want to protect. I don't want to lose the tree because of the possums, if that's what's ring barking it, because I told they can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and do I cut the dead wood out and just um, that's the price of living in the country, or yeah, what do I do? I think you're you're on the money there. So carobs, you know, because they're edible and there's lots of nutrients in a, in a carob tree, um, so they're kind of yeah attractive to many different things, you know, parrots, possums, you know, rats mm-hmm. as well. Um, but uh, I've got uh, quite nutritious pods. So a lot of people feed them to cattle and things like that too. So, but yeah, so that it, yeah, it's a bit tricky. It could be parrots doing that, just you know, deciding to have a nibble. Um, if it is ring barked and you, the, the branches are dying back, then they're not going to recover. So you can you know trim them off. But it could be yeah. I really don't know what, what it is. Yeah, what what it is or how to control it. So you could just, yeah, you're just unlucky living in the bush. And Bridgetown's a lovely place of the world. Enjoy Bridgetown. Sorry about the tree, uh, we say. Uh, Tim said about Sir Walter, which we were chatting about, the grass, does very well in the shade at their house, not very well in the full sun. Oh, there we go. Wow. Well, that- giving me a little bit more 
<laughs> Excitement. Bit of hope. Little hope in the Skipworth household. Uh, on the text line, this one from Sally. Uh, Mark, can a peppermint tree get canker? I was wondering if my tree is okay. Uh, so peppermint tree, well, then mainly the uh, Agonis flexuosa is the WA peppermint tree. Mm-hmm. Very common down south, a uh, nice and lovely weeping tree. Uh, canker is a disease. Uh, they couldn't, I don't think they really get canker. Um, Might there, be something else. Yeah, then. there's some cypress and things like that to suffer from canker. Oh, here is a photo. And um, no, it looks all right to me. The I can't see the foliage, but they get these burls. You know, mm-hmm. they're just kind of burls. I remember we had one in our backyard that had a bit of a burl on it like that. Yeah. So that's not really canker. That's just a natural part of the tree. And you're very lucky and nothing to be worried about. Beautiful tree. Thank you, Sally, for sharing that with one with us. Uh, let's head, head to Huntingdale. Good morning to you, John. You got a question? Yeah, two actually. Uh, right. I wish to transplant. Thank you. I wish to transplant a ponytail from a um, pot or a plant, a pot plant from a, a pot. I'll get it right. About forty centimeters diameter mm-hmm. into the front yard. I uh, just need to know how to prepare the the ground um, and what to do exactly. And the other question is, I have a compost tumbler, and before I put my compost in there, I have drips and drabs of compost which I put in the plastic bin. I've got a fair few lemons which have fallen and I put those in and I break them up and I get a fair bit of moisture which I try to take up with newspaper. Is there something else I can use to help the newspaper or instead of the newspaper to take up that extra moisture, please? Okay. Right. So back to the, the ponytail. So the ponytail palm has a, a big swollen trunk on mm-hmm. it, storage item. Just be careful because if you injure that, that bowl, they don't recover um, so you'll always have a, an injury. So just be careful when you're transplanting it. Don't hit it with a spade or anything like that. Uh, to prepare the ground, they like free draining soil. Again, you don't want too much compost, like the uh, the dragon tree example. Don't want too much compost in the ground, keeping it damp against that um, storage bulb, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, free draining soil. And so just make sure it's mixed in well if you do condition the soil. And that'll be fine. They, they transplant really easily and they're quite hardy once they start to get established. Um, with the compost, it's a good idea uh, when you're making a compost heap, you want sufficient uh, dry material, uh, carbon-based material to, for things to work, uh, the bacteria to break down the compost. Um, yeah, and if there's too much liquid, then you start to get anaerobic decomposition, which mm-hmm. makes... For smelly compost, uh, that's when you you, know, you get that really off smell, yeah. that kind of thing. So any dry matter, leaves, straw, newspaper, shredded up, all that kind of thing. It'll help take out the moisture, some of the moisture. Take out the moisture. If it's a good compost tumbler, there should be something where to drain off that excess moisture um, somewhere. So that's usually a good idea. And that moisture can you can then use on your garden. Yeah, so it's like a liquid fertiliser. Yeah. Put it in a watering can. And, yeah, so just uh, use those kind of materials to keep it. You want to keep it damp but not wet. Mm-hmm. All right, beautiful. John, hopefully that helps you. Good luck with the uh, ponytail palm. We've got about nine minutes left here on uh, Saturday Breakfast. Roots and Shoots with Mark Tuchek. Uh, Dustin Skipworth filling in for Rowanna Edwards. Got a native question for you on the text line. It says, I'm growing Indigenous thyme. It's thriving. I'd like to plant more. Can I just take simple cuttings or, or how do I propagate uh, Claire in Stoneville? Yes, Claire. It's, uh, so native thyme is a prostrantha and it's a fantastic plant. Has, it grows to about two metres, has lovely purple flowers and it's a really aromatic herb. Uh, it's great for cooking with and drying. And yes, you can take cuttings off that plant and you want to take uh, try to ignore the really soft, uh, wimpy stuff on the on the tips mm-hmm. and just go down a little bit where it's a bit firmer. And again, making sure that you cut just below the nodes. So you'll see as the, the, uh, the stem comes down, the little branch is coming out, that's where the nodes are. So cut below the node, keep it damp, and uh, you can get more native thyme 
uh, for your garden. So it's a ripper. All right, let's try to run through as many we can in the next eight minutes. Uh, let's go to Bunbury. Good uh, morning to you, Rod. What's your question for Mark? Good morning. I've got a uh, busy Persian silk tree. Yes. Uh, we bought it without a canopy and it was probably a centimetre diameter trunk, six feet tall. It's got a lovely canopy now, but it's bending over like a crooked old man. Um, what do we do? Do we just let it be and that's what it's going to strengthen up and thicken up or what's, what should we do there? Uh, okay, so Albizia's are fantastic trees. Uh, you've got Albizia dual brisium, which is the pink flowering one. And that one... Uh, grows actively during the warm weather. So if it's got a bit of a lean on it now, you can stake it mm-hmm. either side um, and you can kind of start to trim it now because it starts to put out new growth. And it's just, yeah, so I don't think, you, it, eventually it'll, it'll strengthen up the stem, you know, yeah. as it gets thicker. If it's only a, a centimetre thick, you know, they tend to be a bit flimsy when they're young. Will um, it start to strengthen up though with a curve if you leave it curved? I, I would don't probably stake yeah, it. trim that curve out, uh, trim the leading branch out, and mm. then stake it either side, and it should come good. All right, Rob. Hopefully that one helps you there. Uh, let's go to Broom. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. How are you going? Doing very well. What's your question for Mark? Um, I've got lots of golden palms in the garden, and some of them are going really brown and yellow, and then the stems go soft. And they look like they're dying. So, do they last a long time, or would they come back, or should I just get rid of them? <laughs> oh no! Well, in Broome, yeah, the golden cane palms kind of love that environment up there, and they do. Uh, if they're older stems, um, are they quite old? Your plants are they big? Yeah, about twenty years old. Right there, you go. Yep. So, some of the older. Stems do eventually run out of steam and you can cut them off at ground level. But you'll be getting new babies coming up from the side, which will take their place. And so they'll be more vigorous. Um, again, most palms and things like that, and a bit like the dragon tree and the ponytail, don't like any injuries. Yeah. So they don't recover like you know a gum tree would. If you smash into a gum tree, they've got a, they'll scar over whereas palms and things like that don't do that. And that will be a source of infection yeah. And because it's very humid up in Broome and so you start to get these things rotting away. So, yeah, just, just cut them out and uh, the new ones will come good and replace them. Uh, how long will they last for? Uh, I think Karen was wanting to ask as well. Oh, they're quite long-lived, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, years and years and years. So they don't have a, a specific you know, timeline, mm-hmm. if you like, but they should last many years. Beautiful. Uh, about five minutes left. Uh, we'll get some uh, information about a Watch and Act uh, fire that is going on in the moment, but we'll get to Darren and Duncraig quickly before we, uh, you know, I guess, uh, clock out for the for the morning. Uh, Darren, good morning. Uh, what's your question for Mark? Good morning. Another transplanting question, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, I have a large uh, Singapore frangipani, about three to three and a half metres high, and uh, just wondering about the root ball and how much I try and transplant, try and get the transplant, but also I'm worried about the weight Yes. and want to prune some of the canopy. Where would I prune it on the branches to encourage growth down the track? Yep, sure. So again, frangipanis should transplant quite well, but uh, they are heavy plants. You want to try and take as much of the root ball as you physically can, can manage uh, because that will you know, reduce the stress on the plant. And... To trimming the, the canopy, you know, you can trim them now because they actively start to put out new shoots anyway. It might, in transplanting it, you might uh, put out new growth at the expense of flowers, but eventually it'll settle down. So try and take as much of the root ball as you physically can and just give it a light trim on top. Watch out for the white milky sap and just keep it damp. Yeah, not wet. Same thing as before. Mm-hmm. They transplant well. Beautiful. Uh, Darren, hopefully that helps you there in Dunkraig. Um, we'll maybe get to a couple of text messages uh, in just a moment, but we'll pause for this. ABC Radio, fire ban information. And Mickey uh, with you now with uh, some fire information. Because of the risk of fires, there's a total fire da- ban today for parts of the Pilbara. The ban is for the shires of Ashburton, East Pilbara, Exmouth, Caratha, Port Hedland. And during a total fire ban, you must not have any activity that could start a fire, including outdoor fires, including use of solid fuel barbecues, carrying out hot work like grinding, welding or gas cutting, 
nor go off-road driving in a four-wheel drive, quad bike or motorbike. It's your responsibility to check with your local government if there's also a vehicle movement ban. And if so, that means you can't use off-road vehicles even for agriculture or industry. You can get more information at the Emergency WA website about the do's and don'ts during a total fire ban. And just repeating, that's a total fire ban tomorrow for uh, today for parts of the Pilbara. And there's also a bushfire watch and act is in place for the people north of Boldiga Airport and south of Millstream Road in eastern parts of the Hamilsey Range, southwestern parts of Chichester and parts of Mount Sheila. The bushfire is moving in an east-north-easterly direction. It's not contained or controlled. Firefighters are actively um, fighting the fire and conducting mitigation strategies. Thank you for that, Mickey. Uh, and if any of those impact you, you can head to the DFES website. Uh, all of that information will be there. Uh, before you get out of here, Mark, let's get to this last one because it affected me and the house that I lived in as a kid. It says, good morning. I'm cursed by the small pine needles from my neighbor's tree. Please, what can I grow in polluted acidic soil in my small garden? Okay. So, yeah, pine tree needles uh, are slightly acidic. They're not really acidic. Mm. And generally, the plants don't grow underneath pine trees for a couple of reasons. Uh, Not so much the acidic needles, but more the root competition. Uh So pine trees tend to make the soil very, um, again, hydrophobic, very dry underneath the the, uh, soil. They do put a layer on the ground. They're great mulch and you can put them in other areas of the garden. Generally, our coastal soils are a little bit uh, neutral to, in fact, limey. So acidic-type needles and things like that are good long-term. But it's more the fact that they put a thick covering, so just rake them up, put them elsewhere in the garden, and it's that uh, root competition which tends to stop plants that are growing underneath them. One plant they should be planting. Well, a plant underneath? Yeah. Oh, like, well, azaleas, blueberries, all that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's uh, making sure you actually improve the soil with organic matter because it won't be long before those roots kind of start to suck nutrients and compete with the plants you're planting. Mark, thank you for this morning. Uh, they let us do it again. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course, Mark Tuchek there. Uh, hopefully you've had fun with me today on Saturday Breakfast. Um, I'll be back with Stan Shaw on uh, Monday on Breakfast. Uh, have a great weekend. When you're in Perth doing Perth things, don't forget to take us with you. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, you won't miss a moment of ABC Radio Perth with the free ABC Listen app. Download it to your phone today. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.